Look at my butt. Show number 215 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. All right, the official warm-up period is over. Yes, it's time to start. We hope we haven't left our our show in the locker room. (laughs) We're bringing it all to here, Mm -hmm. and we're going to leave it all here. That was the end of my sports metaphors. Wow, that was great. That was great. Well, you you know, I think as long as we score more points than the other side, we're going to win. That's the crucial thing. I I think that's how it works. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, I don't... Happy New the yeah, Year. Yes, 2016. Oh, it's mm. crazy, crazy. 50th anniversary of Star Trek. I know. Oh, so exciting. So much happening this year. Mm-hmm. But first, before we do that, we have some business from last year to wrap up. That's right. Namely, presents. Yay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a confession. Yes. I accidentally opened one of my presents. Oh. <gasps> Because there was a day when a whole bunch of packages came. Oh, okay. And um, so I I will tell everyone what it is. I have my wonderful uh, St. Shatner Kirk (laughs) candle. It has been here since, uh, you know, since before Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's quite lovely. Jack and I feel so safe in the, the warm glow of bill (laughs) so thank you so very very much oh you're welcome uh this was something we had discussed on the show as part of our etsy segment and the reason i got it for you was because i loved the kirk face that they photoshopped on there yes because he's just got that grin i think that's from a harry mudd episode actually yeah it's it's definitely one of the lighthearted moments you know it's this uh it's not a smirk but he's you know pleased with himself he is he's pleased with himself and and so so it's you and know it's, it's a tall candle so it's useful yes. i thought yes. you know you could if the lights ever go out there's your candle you can We're light ready. it and you will have light and warmth all because of kirk yeah well and what better source of light and warmth yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm glad that he's protecting you i'm glad he's watching over you that's that's his job you know life has been so much better since he's been here <laughs> So thank you again. Oh, I'm I'm so glad. Yeah, I wanted to give you something useful, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like the salt and pepper shakers. And well, useful. yeah, although that I don't use it for salt and pepper because it's much too precious to be in daily use, but But, but you could. That's the I point. I could. Yes. Could. Yeah. Technically I could. That is true. <laughs> okay, so go ahead and open yours. All right. Well, this came in a, a large uh bubble wrapped package container thingy and it's wrapped in some very lovely christmas uh paper it's got little trees on it and a little fox a little christmas fox with a little christmas hat so that's so nice that they went to the trouble to do it oh what is it it's a big square box thing yes what could it be oh oh it's a puzzle frame (laughs) okay the box says puzzle frame and the person who sent it has drawn on the front of it um, where it says made in China and then it's got a little picture like a, a you know a fake picture in a frame to show you what it would look like and it says nope <laughs> <laughs> so that's hilarious I'm gonna have to take okay. a picture of that so let's okay. open it up and see what it actually is that's so funny oh, 
Oh, it's got a card, too. Oh, my God. It's bubble-wrapped, and then it's wrapped again on the inside. It's very precious. Oh, I'm never going to get to it. Oh, no. Okay. But we get the joy of listening to bubble wrap and paper crinkling. All right. And... So that's done. And now it's wrapped in tissue paper. Yeah. You can hear it. You can Eventually, hear it. you will get to a present. Crinkling. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. This is really cool. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, and it stands up. It's a frame as well. Yes. Yes. Wow. This is, oh, and they taped the thing down so it doesn't slide all over the place. This is so cool. So what it is, it's a, a square picture frame that's, I guess, like 8 by 8 or something. Maybe more. Maybe it's 10 by 10. And it's it's like those little games where you slide the pieces around to make patterns or letters or put them in a certain order. And you have to slide them one at a time and do strategy to make them go in the right places. And um, they it's called To Boldly Go from A to Z. And each of the little things has a letter and a beautiful sort of stylized drawing that's taken from a still. A stills are very recognizable from mm-hmm. loads of different episodes. This is amazing. Does does it spell out anything? Look. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does, as a matter of fact. I Good, because I ordered extra letters, <laughs> so it would. <laughs> I didn't get that until just now. So, of oh, course, okay. what it says is, look at his butt. Yay! Oh, man. And it's got um, the... So aside from spelling it out, it has one that says to boldly go from A to Z. And then the, the uh, wild card one says live long and alphabetized. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. I have never seen this anywhere. I've never seen anything like this anywhere. Was this from Etsy? Yes. This is fantastic. And the woman who makes it, she was so nice and and helpful you know i said can i order extra letters oh yes of course you know and 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 then she said is there something you want it to spell out (laughs) you know yes and then she you know replied ha and then she said i'll wrap it if you want i was like sure (laughs) wow this is great i'm playing with it now you can hear me sliding the little oh good well i hope it looks as good in person as it did online because i thought what a cool gift it is it's amazing and yes it looks beautiful and it's suitable for either hanging on the wall or as I said it has a little um, stand in the back so you could stand Mm -hmm. it on a table or something or just have it flat like on the coffee table to play with wow this is super cool I I will take pictures so everybody can see but this is amazing oh good I'm so glad thank you so much what a great gift oh you're welcome so much (laughs) there's something in the envelope oh look Oh, she sent the other letters. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, are there other letters? Yes. Because I, I kind of thought, you know, there would be. There are. So the, I have the entire alphabet here. So it is That's uh, what I thought. swappable if you want to. And it's really nice to see how often Kirk is in here. Well. There are many, <laughs> many, many Kirks, including the letter R, which stands for ripped shirt. <laughs> and there's Kirk with his ripped shirt. It also stands for um, Rank, Robots, and Romulans. Oh, but Ripped Shirt is But Ripped Shirt one. is, yeah, the main one. Obviously, oh, right. Obviously. <laughs> the one for J is for Jail, and it's Kirk and Spock shirtless. <laughs> oh, from, okay. Uh, the Nazi episode, yeah. Right. Uh, oh, 
good. Then, well, you will okay. have many hours of alphabetizing fun, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. The last one I just need to mention is the xenobiology one. <laughs> yes. And what should it be but a picture of Kirk kissing uh, Shauna from... Oh, Gamesters of Triskelion. Of course. Yes. Of course. This is great. Wow. How amazing. This is super, super cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, you know, like we've said before, fans are so clever oh. and creative. And occasionally they even do something that, that really, you know, comes out nice. And oh, this yeah. looked like it wasn't going to be, you know, a piece of crap. And It is absolutely so. not a piece of crap. It is beautifully made. I mean, this is really, really nice. It's great. Wow, so cool. Yay! Good. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. Oh, good. Um, So please go ahead and open your other gift. Okay, so it's in an Amazon box. Yes. It came from Amazon. It's heavy, and Mm -hmm. there's, you know, bubble wrap, and oh, my goodness. Oh, this is a huge, huge book, and the book is shrink-wrapped, but it is the Star Trek costumes that we have talked about. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. Oh, dear. I don't... Oh, wait. Here's a toenail clipper. (laughs) That will... That'll do it. That'll take on shrink wrap, right? Oh, Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, you are very welcome. I thought that this would be a great addition to the library because it's about the costumes, and we've seen the costumes. We've seen costumes. Held the costumes and touched them, and also... this book is huge. It's like... 12 by 16 or something. Yeah. The, the stuff online just looked amazing. Oh, like the pictures, you, the quality, oh the my, resolution. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So you open it, and the very first picture opposite the title page uh-huh. is, of course, um, Bro Cream Hair Kirk with the tummy roll, but, you know, the one where he's looking right in the camera uh-huh. and totally eye-fucking you. <laughs> and, you know, just really, really. Oh, oh my God. These. These photos are so high quality. It's just unbelievable. Yay. Oh, and there's a, there's a lot to read, too, about, you know, the history of all this. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. There's, um, what's her name from the Apollo episode? Um, Carolyn somebody. Uh, Palmer, I think. Something like that. Oh, that outfit. Jesus. Oh, that was the laundry going off. And here's (laughs) a big close-up of Bill's uniform, which we have seen. Pants. Pants, pants. Pants. Oh, my goodness. Oh. (gasps) Jeez. It's just amazing to, you know, see the photo of the person wearing it and then see like the drawings or see how it just yeah. looked on a, on a, on a, a, you know, a dressmaker's dummy or whatever. There's big close up of uh, the emblem on one of the gold shirts and the braid and mm. wow. So cool. Oh, good. Well, I, I know that, you know, you, you don't want to add up to a lot of Trek crap. So but this is, but crap. I thought this, this was worth it because it looks beautiful and amazing and also for research it's good for research and also because you know we have the personal connection to some of the stuff that's That's, right and here here's a close-up of mirror kirk's uniform oh my well i just have to tell you all my gay friends are just gonna go insane (laughs) (laughs) oh i want that i'm wearing it for halloween 
only mm. oh and beautiful pictures of bill well, of course that's <laughs> here the bonus. is a, here is a drawing of one of his uh, costumes for tmb and it, it, it looks nothing like him plus the shoulders are bigger than joan crawford's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I am going to have such a good time going through this. And I will, of course, report back on on all the interesting things I learn. Oh, good. Yes. Yes. We will expect a book report on this. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, thank you so very much. I'll light my candle and uh, go through it later and and look at all the pictures. And my goodness, this is... I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to get into cost, but I'm. I'm getting into production. This was an expensive book to produce. I. I thought so. You know, and truthfully, it wasn't that expensive. You know, it wasn't like a hundred dollars. But I. I thought um, for the the money, it was probably going to be a very good value, and hopefully, it's printed on lovely acid-free paper, so the color right. stays bright and the the pages last and all the rest of it. Right. Yeah, I want to see who published this. Uh Inside editions. Oh, it's something put out. Some someone in San Rafael. Oh wow! Inside editions. So, um, all right. Well, good work. Inside editions and <laughs> and Paula M. Block and Terry J. Erdman, with an introduction by Robert Blackman. I can see a lot of love and research and artistic. Endeavor went into that. Thank you so much. Oh, you are welcome. Well, boy, those are great presents. I I feel like it was totally worth it to wait to open them up. I was going to say, these presents were worth waiting for. They were. Yay. Oh, this is great. Uh, Sorry, I'm just moving my little blocks around. Um, (laughs) I love the fact that, so the the one for omnipotence, of which there are two because of Uh luck, um, has the the picture of um, Mitchell. And um, <laughs> what's her name? The scientist, Elizabeth. Daner. Daner, that's Daner, it. Yes. When just as they're they're transformed into gods. <gasps> yeah. Oh, silver eyes. Silver eyes, yeah. That's so cool. So Mitchell's on here too, yay. Yeah, well, <laughs> who else are you going to put? Uh, right. You know, if it was TNG, you'd put like, you know, Q, Q. or somebody. But yeah. Q is for Q, so oh, I don't know. Fantastic. Yay. <laughs> So, so oh gosh, so much other stuff to talk about. That's right. So where should we start? I've got our lists in front of me. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Let me tell you about the wonderful experience I had last weekend because that's yes. going to factor into other things. We so, want to hear about this. So I went to Washington, D.C. last weekend because I uh, had a conference that I had to go to and it was with a bunch of other geek linguists and it was really great. I had a great time. And one of those people knows, personally knows, Mark Okrand, the guy who invented Klingon. And I knew this like a year ago, and I was saying to her, can you introduce me if we're ever in the same place? Because I really just want to say hi, and I promise I won't get all gooey and fangirly over him. And (laughs) she was like, yeah, sure, he's really nice. And so it turned out that um, we were at an event together, so I... I met him and we chatted for a little bit and he was really nice, but I was very mindful of not monopolizing his time and also, mm-hmm. you know, not being a jerk because this was a professional thing and there were other people right. he needed to talk right. to. So I just, I was like, I talked to him and I backed off and that was great. And then it turned out that he went out to dinner with me and my friends. <gasps> How fun! <laughs> that just 
completely like not in my control at all. We were just uh-huh. we, there were a bunch of us standing around. It was like, oh, let's go out to dinner, and he was like, oh, I'll go with you guys. I was like, okay. So um, there were just five of us. It was a small group, and we went to this fantastic little restaurant and had amazing food. And he and I ended up sitting across from each other. And I am I am ashamed to say that I pretty much monopolized the conversation with him most uh-huh. of the night because once I started talking. I just couldn't kind of stop myself. Um, right. But he is so sweet and so nice. And we talked about like a million different things. We talked about a lot of stuff that wasn't Star Trek either. But um, he he was really nice to talk to about the Trek stuff. You know, I was, mm-hmm. you never know how it is with people who, who have done a thing with Trek. He has such a career outside of Trek. Um, uh-huh. And I didn't want to feel like that was the only reason I was talking to him um but he we, he shared some really interesting stories and I told him about the podcast and he was very interested he was like oh, you do a podcast about Star Trek and I was oh like my goodness. yeah I said you could be honored if you want to he's like oh yes I would love to do that oh how so, fun because I have a question for him I have many questions for him so okay. um, we'll do it by Skype he lives in yes. Washington so we'll, right. we'll just set it up and, and we'll do it but yes he said he would love to and oh. uh we we talked about um, we talked about Axanar. We talked about the movies. I I had to ask him the question. At least I said, "What is your favorite Star Trek movie?" And he said it was two, so mm, that course. made sense. And then so I he's asked, a good person. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And then I asked him if he subscribed to the um, even good odd bad theory of the movies, and he said, "No, I don't actually. I think they're they all have something good about them," um, and. And then he said, but it's very hard for me to judge because I was involved in all of them. So to me, they're like home movies. Oh, And I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he got to coach Bill on how to say his one line in Klingon. (laughs) Yes. I I think he he was very involved in the movie, like hands-on involved with the Mm -hmm. movies. Um, so that, you know, just being able to, to talk that kind of stuff with him was very interesting. Um, we talked a little bit about Klingon Christmas Carol because he... Oh, well, that's what's going to be my question. Yeah. It's, you know, has he ever seen it? You know, oh, said. he hasn't just seen it. He's been in it. Oh, how cool. <laughs> they did a production in Washington and uh, he played Scrooge. Ah. Oh. So I was like, that's amazing. So yeah, I want to talk with him more about that. Um, yes. But he's he's very... Uh, he's very into all the things that people have done with Klingon. And, mm-hmm. you know, this will come up with the Axonar stuff when we talk about it, but yes. he very much viewed his creation of Klingon as a thing that he created, and once it had been created, it was set out free into the world for people to do what they wanted to do. Like and a real language. Like a real language, yeah. <laughs> and despite, despite Paramount, you know, wanting to control things that are mm-hmm. uh, related to Klingon, the Klingon language itself is not a trademarked or copyrighted thing. If you ah. want to learn to speak it and do things in it, you can do that and they can't stop you. You know, the individual words of Klingon are not owned by Paramount, not, not in the same way that, you know, the likenesses of the characters are. So, here's an idea. Mm-hmm. If I were to become fluent in Klingon and translate my fanfic mm-hmm. so other people who are fluent in Klingon could read it what could CBS ever do against me publishing it because they would all have to learn Klingon 
to see if I'd actually violated yeah, anything. That's that's an excellent. <laughs> see, that's a question you should ask him because he oh, probably okay. he has probably been asked that question. And he probably knows the answer to it. He pro- yes. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that was so he's my new best friend and. Uh, <laughs> but he he really was the nicest guy. So I'd like to talk just for a minute about this other thing that he's been doing. So okay. his real job, aside from doing Klingon, has been to work for closed captioning as a oh. linguist. That's that was his job. Uh-huh. He's he's retired now, so he doesn't do it anymore. But for thirty years, that's what he did was work on closed captioning to make it better, which is also awesome. And I'd like to talk to him about that some more too. Right. Um. Now, right now, he is one of the producers of a movie that's called Con Langing. And it's about people who invent languages. So um, he's in it and also producing it, but it also talks to uh, another linguist who's named David Peterson, who invented Dothraki for um, Game of Thrones. I've and, seen him interviewed. Yeah, yes. and, and a lot of other people who have invented languages as well. And I assume mm-hmm. they're going to talk about Tolkien, too, you know, the, right, you know, the yeah. uber language inventor. It's a crowdfunded movie. And I think it's going to open sometime this year. There's a little trailer for it on, online. It's at conlangingfilm.com. And it looks just fabulously interesting. So I cannot wait for this movie to come out. It wow. It looks great. Yeah, it looks really, really good. I, that That is fascinating. I am so glad you met him and got to have an actual real conversation with mm-hmm. him. And that will be so wonderful if we can get him on the show. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think he'd be totally up for it. So um, I, I sent you uh, photos of his business card, which are for conlanging the film. Yes. And you on, showed, yes. On one side, it's in English. And on the other side, it's in Klingon. Okay. <laughs> It was so cool. So I was just floating, you know, after we had dinner and it wasn't because I was drunk or anything. It was just like, Mm -hmm. I was so happy that I got to talk with him and and it was cool. And, you know, I got to say, everybody else at the table is looking at the two of us like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) No, they should have understood that it's a bunch of linguists, right? Yeah. I mean, they got it, but, but I... You know, my, my passion for things about Star Trek doesn't come out very often mm-hmm. in, in in this kind of way. You know, I'll, I'll talk about it, but I pretty much know when to shut up. And this was just a case where I was not going to shut up because he was there and I could talk to him yeah. and he was talking back to me. So I, I didn't, I just stopped reining it in at some point. <laughs> well, I've noticed when I'm having just regular conversation with somebody and uh, they'll say something about Star Trek, and I join in. My voice gets higher. <laughs> and, and you can hear I'm so much more excited about what we're talking about now. And yeah. I'm inside. My inner person is going, shut up, shut up, uh-huh. shut up. You know, but my outer person is going, and then. <laughs> yep, that's it. It was exactly like that. So it was amazing. I, I um I did mention that, that, you know, we're big fans of Bill. I may have understated that a little bit, but... <laughs> I did send him the. I emailed him to thank him for dinner, and I, I sent him the link to our our podcast at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. So now okay. he knows. All right! Wow, <laughs> pretty exciting. Yeah. So that was my weekend. That was awesome. awesome. Well, that just it just sounds great. I. I'm I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad that happened. Yeah. And it's all because of Star Trek, you know? I mean, the linguist thing is all interesting, but I, I feel like doing the podcast and having all this really facilitated that that conversation. Well, yeah, you know, and we've talked about this. All the wonderful things we have 
seen and done and had the opportunity to do because of the podcast. Yes, yes. It's just, you know, just amazing. We are the living illustrations of, you know, go live your dream. And no matter how how outrageous or, or silly or big or small, you know, take some steps. Yeah. You'll have fun. Yeah, the fun part. Yeah. Wow. All right, so I'd like to, to go from that into the Axonar topic because... Okay, yes. Um, he had some, in- Mark had some interesting things to say about it, but I'd actually rather save that for when we talk to him because I don't want to, um, you know, misspeak or, or right. say anything that's not true. But he has had quite a lot of experience with Trademark and Paramount and things like mm-hmm. that. So um, we got a great comment on our last show. Where we, we had talked did. About Axonar. So I'd like to read the comment and then talk about the site that they've recommended here. So this person who is anonymous said, um, regarding the Axonar litigation, too much info for me to post in a comment, but this blog by a journalist well-versed in intellectual property law cogently describes the crux of the issues at the heart of CBS Paramount's litigation against the fan film. And they've given a link, which I'll put in the the notes for the show. Mm -hmm. You should read this. There are a host of good reasons having nothing to do with fan films in general that they're going after with this particular production, including the fact that commercial enterprises using CBS intellectual property are attached to it. David Gerald claims to have no dog in this fight, but in fact, the Axonar producers claim on their website to have either optioned or soon to be optioning his works for themselves. Mm. So he is not a completely objective commenter. Mm-hmm. Finally, you should understand that copyright law, unlike trademark law, does not require the rights holder to defend its property at any point in order to defend it later. Oh. They can choose to sue at any time. The Axonar production seems to have suffered scope creep, and the producers let it get out of control. I remember when I read that comment, I thought, this is all very interesting. Very, very interesting. So I didn't know the stuff about Gerald. I didn't know that stuff about copyright law. Me neither. Um, And the thing about scope creep is really kind of important, I think. I think so, too. Yes. Um, So this blog is just called... Uh, it's it's by someone named S.M. Olivia, who's a, a writer, and this particular area is called the Half-Assed Guide to Star Trek Copyright Litigation. And there are several posts here, which I read through, that summarize it and do it in a very readable format. So it's like a back and forth. Um, and they they address all of the issues that are currently being examined in this particular litigation. So right now, as of what is this, the second week of January? Mm-hmm. Um, the, nothing has happened. So CBS served these guys with notice, and now the, the uh, Alex, Alec Peters and the rest of them have until pretty much the end of January to respond. They have not made any kind of response yet. Um, so let me see. There was just... Okay, so this, this I think, is where the, the crux of it is. Um, so I'll, I'll do the little question and answer thing. Um, mm-hmm. Question, why are CBS and Paramount suing Axonar when they haven't sued any of the other fan films? And the answer is, it's hard to say for certain. But it appears CBS and Paramount concluded that Axonar crossed the line from fan film into full-scale commercial productions. They raised over a million bucks on crowdfunding. That's far more than any other fan production has ever done. But they still aren't, quotes, for-profit. They claim that they are complying with the unofficial CBS policy that says an unlicensed Star Trek production cannot make a profit. 
um, some question, do you believe them? <laughs> and and um, they say, it's not about what I believe. It's about what CBS and Paramount believe and ultimately what a judge would believe. Because the people producing Axonar have taken a number of steps which indicate they are a professional production rather than a non-commercial fan film, such as they keep telling people they're not a fan film. <laughs> Um, I hadn't really picked up on this, but yeah, yeah, apparently they keep saying that they're not a fan film, but a professional production. Um, and they have leased a, uh, a studio called Aries Studio. So they that's where they're filming it right now. Um, and it's located in Valencia, California, which is within a thing called the 30 Mile Zone. So <laughs> they say, what's the 30 Mile Zone? Is that like the neutral zone? Um, no. The 30 Mile Zone, also known as the Studio Zone, is an area in, in and around Hollywood where movie and television productions have to pay the highest rates for union talent. So according to Axonar, they're doing this because it makes their finished film look more professional. So CBS and Paramount see that it is a competing professional Star Trek production and not a not-for-profit fan film. So that's that's some specific stuff that I hadn't really understood before and I think this yes. is a really good summary of it so the thing about where they're making it and how they're describing themselves seems mm -hmm. to be uh, not good but when they finally um, file their response then I think we will see how they plan on defending themselves and what this is going to come down to yeah so that's where it is right now wow very 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 interesting yeah this will be interesting to follow I didn't I didn't know any of the the stuff <clears throat> excuse me that's in this article so and uh yeah um thanks to sm olivia for um putting this down in in simple understandable terms for everyone yeah i i think it's great and it's something i'm gonna uh, keep up with there's a bunch of other posts on here that have to mm -hmm. do with it um so I'll put the link up. Everybody can go and read what's up there. But it's great that there's kind of a clearinghouse to explain the legal issues so people actually know what they're talking about. And right. Now we know what we're talking about. Yeah. At least for the moment. Yes. We'll, we'll get back to our usual idiocy. No fear. <laughs> hmm. Yes. But this is just so very interesting. It is. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's take a break. And when we yeah. come back, we, we have other things that uh, – are important and need to be discussed. Oh, many things, many, many things. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com and leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. And please visit us at the Look at His Butt Facebook page. All right, we're back. Yay. And um, a brief announcement. Bill's new book, the one he wrote about his friendship with Leonard, is coming out next month. Mm -hmm. Bill is the narrator of the audio. Yes, he, he tweeted about that. So, you know, going to have to to get that and hear him tell the stories. We've heard him tell a million times mm -hmm. at cons, but <laughs> there will probably be some other 
very interesting and insightful things knowing Bill. So we'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be great. I am looking forward to that. Now, this is this is so weird. It showed up in my Shatner feed, and it is a, a, a Twitter conversation between Bill and a guy named Big Jim, who <laughs> is the director of My Little Pony. Mm-hmm. And it says, hey, William Shatner, I hear you're a fan <laughs> of My Little Pony. I'm the director of the show. Maybe we should have you be a guest voice. And Bill replies, I am. Maybe we can chat in September. I'm leaving for a trip to Asia next week. Mm-hmm. I think he means week. And we'll be back mid-September. And the guy says, I'll be here. Safe travels. Haven't heard anything about this. Um, apparently, this was posted in August. Mm-hmm. But um, the mind-boggling thing to me is Bill being a fan of My Little Pony. <laughs> Well, maybe, you know, his grandkids are big fans or he watches it with them. You know, Bill loves the grandkids and probably does everything with them that they love to do. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I know nothing about My Little Pony except what you've told me, which is it was a kid's show that became hip. And then you found that amazing little background thing of, um, you know, are they here for the festival? Oh, my God. So funny. Yeah, I think think the, the people who make the show would be totally delighted. And also, I think I might have mentioned this before, but John Delancey has done a voice on there for quite a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, he plays Chaos, um, which is completely relevant for him but yes. he's very funny and uh, I, I could see it happening and w- while we were talking I was just googling to see if there's any more news and there is no more news so this is, wow it's a, it's a mystery well this appeared on um, a website called e- Equestria Daily yes it's a My Little Pony site mm-hmm. and the person who, who posted this and wrote it said if Shatner did get a guest role on the show I wonder what sort of character he would play any theories you guys I can totally see him as a traveling pony thespian for instance oh that would be fun. but I didn't find any comments so no one has really said what what kind of pony they want him yeah. to be and I'm thinking a very a uh, smooth, sexy pony. Oh, definitely. Yeah. A, a ladies pony. Who do, who, a ladies pony <laughs> who does shoulder rolls. Yes. Oh, he has to be an action pony for sure. Yeah, an action pony. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Yes. Um, yes. Very they've, important. They've had all kinds of people do cameos. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic was on and uh-huh. he, he did a, a sort of a traveling, like a music man thing, almost. Mm-hmm. And it was good. He was very good. And he wrote some music, too. And the songs were funny. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, he was great. Cool. Well, okay. we'll keep, keep looking. We'll keep looking for that. Yep, yep. Well, you know, like we said, they call up and say, hey, Mr. Shatner, <laughs> would you like to? Yes. Yes. Yes, I will. I will. So I'll do it. Yeah. That, that's how these things go. Okay. Well, I would like now to read uh, a movie review from one of our listeners, from, from Mike Crate, who we've heard from before. Yes. And he, I have to say, Mike is wonderful because he always um, posts on Twitter. He tweets whenever he's listening to our show. So he'll say something Aww. like, you know, at work, listening to these podcasts. And then he'll, he'll put us in there. And I was like, oh, that's so oh, nice that of so you. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's great. So um, he mentioned that he'd watched Christmas Horror Story. And I immediately responded and said, would you write a review for us? And he, of said, course. <laughs> he said, oh, well, I actually wrote one on my personal blog. And here it is. And he sent the link. So I'd like to read it because I think it's quite amusing. Good. So this was the Christmas Horror Story, which you so very kindly reviewed for us um, a couple of shows ago. So here's what Mike has to say. 
All I really knew about this movie was that William Shatner had a pivotal but small role, and truth be told, he was magnificent as the Yay! radio disc jockey who was used to tie all the stories together. Yes, this movie is comprised of a number of separate stories, each, I assume, directed by one of the guys who shared credit for the movie. <laughs> one story deals with the investigation of a year-old double murder of two young people at a private school. Three teens sneak into a building to make a documentary and find themselves locked in the building where the murders took place. Another story has the original police officer who investigated the crime, trying to get his life back with his wife. Uh, he had taken leave for stress after the bloody events of the year before. The family goes to get a tree from some private land, and there is an incident with his son which turns Christmas Eve upside down. The next story follows a rather dysfunctional family on a trip with a wealthy relative. Again, it does not go well, and on their way back, they crash their car and have to walk through the woods. But there is something out there that punishes the naughty. The final story is more whimsical as we are at the North Pole and Santa is almost ready for his annual trip around the world when something terrible happens to his elves and hell comes to the workshop. A Christmas horror story was an entertaining movie. Bill was brilliant and each story made full use of the tropes of the genre. Although I have to say I had an inkling about the story that was being unveiled as the movie went on, but it was still enough of a surprise to be a credit to the writers, directors and editors. Well, good. It sounds like uh, Mike found more coherence in this than I did. <laughs> good for you, Mike. Yeah, it sounds and, like he actually uh, sat down and watched the whole thing, really paying attention. Yeah. And, you know, as far as I know, no quote-unquote real film critics took this one on. So, you know, high five there, Mike, for you and me. Yeah, definitely. You guys are ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, the other thing that Bill was in, um, which was on the Lifetime channel... Mm -hmm. um, oh, that thing, yeah. That thing, I, I missed it, and it hasn't been on, and it's not on demand, and I can't find it anywhere. So wow. <laughs> like, whatever, I guess it'll turn up eventually, but yeah. that came and went blindingly fast. <laughs> Let's just say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you were going to, while we're doing reviews, do a review. Yeah. Of a comic for us. Yes. So I, as I mentioned many shows ago, I have all of these Star Trek New Visions, the ones that John Byrne has done that are the photo montage comics. And mm -hmm. um, I just forget yeah. I have them. And I thought, gosh, it's way overdue for me to read one. So I read one. This this is number three. And I believe he's up to number 10 by now. So oh, wow. I know. I got my work cut out for me. Um, but I, I will briefly summarize and, and point out some of the, the fun stuff. This one's called uh, Cry Vengeance. Cry Vengeance. It sounds very action-oriented. <laughs> yes. And it takes place um, moments after the Doomsday Machine episode is over. And oh. it, it sort of deals with the aftermath of that. Um, what happens is that they're unbeknownst to the crew of the Enterprise in Doomsday Machine, there was another ship that was sort of a... A ride along with the Doomsday Machine, uh, like a, a a mini Doomsday Machine. No, not a mini Doomsday Machine. It was a, a little craft with a with a pilot, an actual alien pilot in it oh. that was accompanying it, and uh, it at starts attacking the Enterprise, and they have to figure out what's going on. And it it's not a very complicated story. It's basically okay. there's a ship, and they get into a fight, and then they resolve things at the end. Okay. And nothing is revealed. Like, we still don't know anything more about the Doomsday Machine, or I guess he, he didn't have a lot of license to explore the culture of these worlds that actually created okay. it. So, so it's fine. And it's good. You know, I thought this one actually was a little bit better done than some of the other ones as far as the photo montage goes. But um, there were a few things that I thought were worth mentioning. Um, 
So the beginning of the story shows the very last scene from the episode where mm-hmm. they're talking and um, he says, uh, Spock says, I can't help wondering if there are any more of these weapons wandering around the universe. And Kirk says, well, I certainly hope not. I found one quite sufficient. Ha ha ha. That was a weird way to end that episode. Yes. Um, and then it just goes right into it. So the very first panel of the new story is that um, scroll down shirtless picture of Kirk in his quarters <gasps> in color. It's very nice. And yeah, very nice. The, the caption says, I have come, it's his captain's log. I have come to my cabin to clean up after the grueling hours aboard the Constellation. <laughs> okay. Really? What was he cleaning up? Well, you know, he was sweaty. He worked hard. I guess. And so then he's standing there shirtless in front of his monitor so everybody can see him being shirtless. But I just thought that was a really weird thing to say. Would you put that in your captain's log? That's what I was just thinking. Why would you put such a tiny little piece of minutia, you know, into your your official log that's going to Starfleet? So what? They know you're you're following the hygiene rules? Exactly. That's the crack me up. I went back to my quarters to clean up. And I washed behind my ears, and I clipped my fingernails, and anyway. <laughs> and trimmed my nose hairs. Yes, exactly. Okay, so that was funny, although I did appreciate the, the picture. Because well, it's so yeah. Good. yeah, any excuse, any um, excuse. Then a um, couple uh, pa- panels later, they are in touch with a science vessel, and um, Spock uses the word brusque. And the word brusque is spelled B-R-U-S-K. Oh, <laughs> Oh, I'm disappointed. I'm very disappointed. I was like, really? And you had to put that in Spock's mouth. You know, the person the least, the person who would least of all spell it incorrectly. That's right. Hmm, brusque. Brusque. I was like, <laughs> Brusque is uh, the name of a um, toothpaste for elephants. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. Thank you. Very good. Uh, okay. So just moving along, um, they get... They're attacked, stuff happens, and so there's two pages of them being attacked, not like fatally attacked, just kind of being hit. And um, on page three of the attack, McCoy jumps up there, he's on the bridge, and he's like, what's going on? What are you shaking all these things around for? It's like, what What in blazes is going on? It's like, why are you here? Yeah! Why aren't you? And he stays on the the bridge for the rest of the, the... the episode for the rest and not, of the not you know down in sick bay saving no, lives not or at all he's at least there. slapping band-aids on things he's just up on the bridge complaining the entire time <laughs> what's going on i thought we killed this what are you doing why are you doing this <laughs> he's like <laughs> he is have they ever checked him for like early alzheimer <laughs> because he is like you know this grumpy old man oh he is he really is and he just he grumps around everybody it's, just, <laughs> it's not like he stays in sick bay and is grumpy it's like he has to come up on the bridge yep and be grumpy in front of everybody so that just cracked me up um then so in in good comic book style every time they're attacked there's a panel where it's brightly colored and everybody's falling out of their chairs and there's a sound effect and most mm-hmm. of the sound effects are pretty good but in one of these the mm-hmm. sound effect is scrank Scrank. S-K-R-A-N-K. Oh, no. Not the dreaded Scrank. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a Scrank. And then uh, Chekhov, unfortunately, stars in this episode, and he's wearing his bad wig. And at one point, (laughs) 
he attempts to say the word vibrational. Oh, no. Yeah, but it comes out vibrational. Oh, God. Vibrational. He also says Captain, K-E-P-T-I-N. Uh, well, that, that's how it's spelled when Chekhov uh, says it. Yeah, so he says vibrational, Captain. and then he also gets to scream, so that was good. Okay. And his scream is rendered as um, E-Ya, and it's the letter E-Y-A-H. Oh, so it's kind of a short scream. It is. It's a short scream. Okay. So so he got to scream. That was good. Uh, there's a little back. So that's it. And then everything resolves and it's fine. Um, there's a little backup story in here, which is deeply weird, which I will also talk about. And it's called Robot. And it's about a woman scientist who comes on the Enterprise with her robot. I bet you didn't see that coming. No, I'm stunned. It. And it's not a data looking robot. It's like a shiny metal looking robot. And they're taking her from point A to point B. And of mm -hmm. course, something happens with the robot. And in this one, I think listeners may remember that um, the last little backup story that was in one of these comics was a chapel story. And it kind of got into her back. No, it was a Rand story. That's right. It got into her backstory a little bit. Mm -hmm. This one is gets into Kyle's backstory a little bit. Really? So, yeah. So it turns out that this woman scientist was his old girlfriend. Isn't that amazing? There's some, I don't know, wormhole or something that if you're on the Enterprise, your past loves show up. Yeah, it's yeah, and there's I, I have to say to his credit, John Byrne actually does a little meta commentary because Kyle says to Kirk, uh, "We've been out of touch for years, and we knew each other in a past life." And Kirk says, "There's hardly a member of the crew who hasn't been down that road, Mister Kyle. We all know how you feel." <laughs> <laughs> so that was amusing. Um, That's good. So the weird part about the very weird thing is that. The woman scientist is, I'm going to say, played by um, Mira Romaine. So he, oh. he took pictures of her and put, gave her different hair and a different costume, and, and she is this character. Huh. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, yeah. you see her, and I'm like, oh, it's Mira Romaine. Oh, no, it's not. It's this other character, whoever she's mm -hmm. supposed to be. So then something happens with the robot, and um, there's a mystery because the robot injured, well, they think that the robot injured Mr. Kyle, but nobody <gasps> knows for sure because the mm -hmm. robot refuses to testify on its own behalf. Oh. It's foreshadowing the data stuff a little bit. Um, but well, it's also ripping off Isaac Asimov, but oh, go ahead. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> so they, they all, everything is resolved in the end, except that the woman scientist, unfortunately, like many women scientists, is shown to be deeply unbalanced. So um, I was like, really? Really? You're going to do that again after oh. all of those other episodes? So that was kind of not great. And was she deeply unbalanced because she's not with Chekhov? Or just deeply unbalanced on her own. She was obsessed with Kyle. Oh, with Kyle. I, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, she was obsessed with him. And, I see. Well, spoilers. She tried to kill him when he refused to get back together with her. Oh, did they swap bodies or anything? No, she just hit him on the head with something. Didn't kill him, uh, but he had convenient amnesia. And oh. everybody thought that the robot did it. Oh. Yeah. Poor robot. I know, but it was fine. Everything was fine in the end. There, there, there was no, there was no consequences for any of this. Basically. Of course, of course not. <laughs> a 
everybody just went on their merry way. Nobody got arrested. Nothing else happened. Oh, yeah, just move along. Nothing to see here. Really, okay. really. That's so funny. So here's the thing that, that just occurred to me, and maybe we talked about this before, but I don't remember. Um, so this happens in her quarters, and uh, in like they have this argument, and then it's in the, the card or her and Kyle. And it's a mystery because nobody saw it happen. I was like... On a starship, wouldn't they have security cameras everywhere? Well, and they have security cameras for the footage of Kirk in court, Marshall. Yeah. So, wouldn't you think that there would be, there would never be any mysteries like this unless mm-hmm. you were like, I don't know, in one of the ovens in the the, um, the kitchen. You know, like there would be cameras <laughs> everywhere. You would see everything all the time. And yeah. because it's the future, you know, there's unlimited cloud data space so <laughs> you know you don't it's not like you're worried about running out of memory for all this right stuff. right yeah and, and everything would just be saved all the time so i mean in in the regular series that would have been an issue too right in the the um yeah when stuff happens and it's a mystery nobody knows what happens well yeah. let's just call up the security camera footage and then we'll know what happens yeah yeah Hmm. Okay. So anyway, so it was good. It was quick read. It was fun. There were some funny things. Like I said, the I thought the photo montaging looked really good and I will keep reading them. If any of you out there have actually read any of these, I'd love to know what you guys think about it. Yeah. So it's not just me. Yes. We want to hear from you. Yes, please. Okay. So moving on, we had a, a really interesting article. Yes. It's um 10 things that, let me get up to the title part. 10 things that Star Trek got right that have never been copied. Yeah. And these are achievements this person put together. person's name is Charlie Charlie Jane Anders. Yes. This is on Gizmodo, io9. Um, put together for the 50th anniversary. So number one, scripts by the biggest science fiction writers of the day. Mm-hmm. And she goes on to to list some of them. And, um, and she says... Um, that it's also notable, and I've heard this, is that Trek was always open to new writers, and a lot of current TV writers and and other you know writers in other media got their start mm-hmm. working on Star Trek scripts. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's huge for a science fiction show, and it's really kind of surprising to realize that um, that really isn't true anymore. Mm-hmm. But part of it may be that science fiction is no longer episodic. Mm-hmm. So it's more like a, a you know a, a a single author, to use that term kind of loosely, a single vision. Mm-hmm. But still, okay, pushing the outer edge of diversity. Um, obviously, Lieutenant Uhura, but also pointed out an Asian, a Russian. Later, Trek series had um, a disabled engineer. Um, an African American man and a woman as captains mm-hmm. in the later series. So. Very significant. Yep. This is the one I love. Heroes whose limits are partly self-imposed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this. Yeah, one, of the, one of the things that Star Trek does, which is revolutionary and evolves over time, is to give the men and women of Starfleet limitations that have nothing to do with logistics. It's not, we can't nuke the planet from orbit because our planet nuking <laughs> device needs another five hours to recharge, but rather... 
We can't because we have a rule against interfering with the development of their culture. Mm -hmm. You could make a drinking game out of all the times that Kirk and even later captains break the prime directive. But the fact that so much of the storytelling is about having power, but being unwilling to use it is fascinating. And yes, Doctor Who has a vague and wibbly-wobbly rule against the Doctor changing his own past, but that's usually portrayed as almost a physical limitation rather than a choice to exercise restraint. Mm-hmm. And the, the way she described that reminded me so much of the Mirror Mirror episode, you know, where they say, you could take the whatever it is from us, Captain. Right. And he says, but we won't. Yep. And yep. then it's illustrated by the Mirror Universe and how they handle things. I also thought it was great that that particular paragraph was um, illustrated by a picture of Picard and Q. Yes. Because that was, you know, a, 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 the crux point of their relationship was that Q uh-huh. could do anything. And Picard was always going, no, we're not going to do anything just because you can do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's not the way we do things. Right. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that was an extremely important point is to, to have limits, self-imposed yes. limits. Yes, yes. And limits that show humanity mm-hmm. having learned from its past. Yes which is something we're not doing real good with right now. But um, anyway, back to Star Trek. Trying seriously to portray people who had left barbarism behind. Um, This sort of goes along with the Prime Directive and things like it, but it deserves its own item because it's such an important thing. Roddenberry's insistence that people of the 23rd century would have evolved past the greed, fanaticism, paranoia, and prejudices of the 20th century is often criticized as an impediment to good storytelling. Um, I want to say something there. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe and I, I I can't say what Roddenberry's intent is but was but I don't believe individuals ever evolve past greed fanaticism <laughs> paranoia and those things but as a culture we can put mechanisms in place to minimize the effects of those mm-hmm. yes and um and in my mind that's what Star Trek is showing. It's not that everybody is a good person. Mm-hmm. You know yes. that's that's absolutely not true. But um the, you know she points out it it uh, where did that go? It forced these shows to come up with new and often fascinating ways to generate conflicts. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, the I the the conflict was was not about um, one person always having to get their way right which it seems like a lot of conflict on tv Mm -hmm. is about is one person having to get their way and being thwarted or not being able to get their right and you think of the nazi episode where there was john gill Mm -hmm. you know who had brought that back to this one civilization and kirk having to to come back in and and you know put things back in order Mm -hmm. you know because you can't let that go on okay pushing allegory beyond its limits plenty of science fiction indulges in allegories for racism or war or other social issues and trek is still notable for how far it pushed allegories and thought experiments this was not always a good thing but star trek's tendency to delve into thought experiments is sometimes uncomfortable in the best way and at its best all of the trek series would delve into situations where there's no easy answer and the parallels to our present day reality were in inescapable mm-hmm. which is illustrated by a picture of data shaking hands with uh, dr Bashir. yes and and i thought i really liked all of the data episodes where they really mm-hmm. got into you know is he 
does he have rights and is he a sentient person and all of that stuff is just so relevant it, you know, oh, for discussing so actual humans and not machines mm-hmm. here's another one creating a shared universe yeah. that feels expansive no really we know nothing about this um everybody's doing shared universes nowadays and to a large extent this is an attempt to imitate what marvel and dc accomplished in their comics decades ago but on television in the movie star trek was one of the first series to create a universe in which different ships and different crews felt like they all belonged to the same basic setting without being just spin-offs. Mm-hmm. Add in the book-only series like New Frontiers, Corps of Engineers, Vanguard Seekers, and so on, and you've got a capacious galaxy. Star Wars always comes back to being about the Skywalkers and their friends in the main media series. But Star Trek is just about Starfleet, and any Starfleet officer could star in a Star Trek show or movie. Mm-hmm. Very true. Absolutely. Developing alien cultures over time with human actors. Um, the other thing that's so largely unique about Star Trek's universe is how much we've gotten to know about the Klingons, Romulans, Vulcans, and a handful of other races over several decades. And she points out that's common in books. That's mm-hmm. part of your world building. But um, in science fiction, there's like generally one race of bad guys. Right. Or, or just one other race. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that, and and pointing out that they had great actors portraying them. Mm -hmm. Showing the dehumanizing nature of war. Roddenberry and other Trek creators had served in the military, and some of the best Star Trek TOS episodes are explicitly a commentary on how war turns good people into monsters. I didn't realize for years that the very first Klingon episode is the one in which the godlike Organians force Kirk (laughs) to make peace with his enemies, and Kirk is snarling at being denied his right to attack. Mm -hmm. And the best TOS episode, Balance of Terror, is a remake of the war movie The Enemy Below, in which we spend a surprising amount of time getting to know the Romulan commander and sympathizing with his decisions. TNG dealt with issues like torture and war crimes with more sensitivity than television generally musters, and Deep Space Nine created a study of the costs of war that remains unparalleled. Absolutely. Yeah, the whole end of DS9, like the last two seasons, talking about war and what it means and what it costs is is unbelievably deep and sophisticated and doesn't shy away from showing um, the, the terrible realities of what that means. Mm-hmm. Characters who age realistically. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Star Trek has been around for so long that we got to see Kirk, Spock, and even some of the TNG characters get older and change as people. In retrospect, some of the most memorable moments in Star Trek's history, especially Wrath of Khan and the TNG finale, All Good Things, are about characters that we've gotten to know grappling with getting older and not being the same people they used to be. Until recently, Star Trek never gave in to the temptation to recast its major characters or try to keep them eternally young Mm -hmm. and number 10 putting the massive and wondrous on Mm -hmm. our screens the big dumb object in space genre is a mainstay of science fiction books and we occasionally get an eyeful of it in movies like 2001 but star trek was relentless in its insistence (laughs) on putting its heroes against huge phenomena that they couldn't fully understand there were huge space amoebas giant planet killers massive holes in space time and much more we tend to mock the later star trek shows for their endless plots about 
about space-time anomalies and other technobabble items. But the fact that so many of the stories throughout Trek's history has been driven by there's something huge and strange and we don't know what it is is kind of amazing when you think about it. And here's why I have to give props to J.J. Abrams' first Trek movie for using real-life images of Saturn from the Cassini space probe for its most arresting, beautiful images. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that is a, a, a wonderful article to have put together. You know, we all talk about how what a huge influence Star Trek was, but this really gets down into some specifics. And in, in many of the ways that she talks about, it's not just that it's an influence, it's that nobody else has even attempted it, or if they have, they haven't come close. Yeah. That, that's the thing, it's a Trek did not just one or two of those things it did all of those things right and i think that's part of why you know we can all keep talking about it and arguing about (laughs) it and you know well he should have done this and that's something spock would never do you know and all that because there was enough depth there yeah to keep interpreting it yeah and that's and coming back and that's why we're still talking about it 50 mm-hmm. years later. Yes. Oh. And we're going to see Bill twice. Oh, Yay! I know. It's so exciting. Um, I just saw that they had announced a few new guests for the Silicon Valley Comic Con. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them being Karen Gillan, who was uh, Amy Pond in Doctor Who. Oh, cool. So, I like Amy Pond. Uh, yeah, so it would be fun to see her tell some stories and things. Cool. Yeah, so we will definitely be there. If any of you guys are going, let us know because we're going to have a party. Yeah. yeah it's going to be great. It's going to be really, really good. Well, let's wrap up with a, a, a serious moment and how sad and shocked we were to hear about Alan. Rickman oh man! Oh, this what a week. terrible week! I mean, David Bowie oh. and Alan Rickman in one week. Oh, I know, I so know. Bad. And you know, my favorite Alan Rickman thing, of course, is is Galaxy Quest. But I also absolutely adored him in Dogma, which, <laughs> in my opinion, is a movie that does not get enough attention. Um. And, you know, he plays Metatron, the voice of God. Yeah. And he's just, he's hes wonderful. He was wonderful in so many different things. And oh, yeah. And, you know, Robin Hood and the and Die Hard mm-hmm. and, and even Love Actually, which is a ugh, movie, <laughs> you know. But um, he, uh, he was a unique talent. Yes. And, you know, that's the thing about unique talents. There aren't a lot of them. I think of people like, you know, Eve Arden. Nobody could do a line reading like Eve mm-hmm. Arden. Mm-hmm. There was no point in trying to be the next Eve Arden, and I feel the same way about Alan Rickman. He he just brought a unique spin and intelligence to everything he did. Yeah. Uh, it made me so sad to see that. Although, just to, to lighten it, I mean, geeks being geeks, this this exchange on a board that I was reading was so funny. Someone posted seriously saying, oh, Dr. Lazarus is dead. And then someone else said, actually, it's more accurate to say, the actor playing Dr. Lazarus is dead. And then the third person said, actually, it's more accurate to say the actor playing the actor who played Dr. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and I think we all needed that laugh at that point. Oh, and I believe Alan yes. Like that very, very much. That is so wonderful. Yeah. Oh, and you know, so many people have been posting clips of various things he did. And I was really pleased to see that someone had posted that wonderful wonderful <laughs> non-funny scene in galaxy quest when gwillig oh dies. yeah oh it's so wonderful oh, i mean that's why that is a turn that is the turning point of the movie it is where the actors are finally realizing how important those those 
roles are to be. Yeah, and he's so good that he can go so, from, you know, the what a saving scene in the beginning of the yeah. film to that I scene. I will not say that stupid line. And he just becomes <laughs> so energized and so committed, so committed to yes. what's going on. Oh, yes, amazing. yes, love it. So let's all go it. watch Galaxy Quest. I was just going to say that. Yeah, that would be, he would appreciate that. Oh, and one last Galaxy Quest sort of thing. This week, I have, or in the past weeks, I've had um, opportunity or need to spend time in the Chicago Pedway, mm-hmm. which is underground tunnels that connect various buildings downtown so we don't have to go out in the freezing cold. And there's stores and restaurants mm-hmm. down there and everything. But so I got lost one day because I hadn't ever been down in that part of it. And I was honestly thinking, please don't let there be choppers. <laughs> And there weren't. There were no chompers, no wall of fire. No flames. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. Uh, I'm yes. glad. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. All right. Well, that will do it for this show. So, everyone, let us know what's going on. Send us email. Leave comments on the website. Um, let us know if you're going to any of those cons. And, yep. We um, want to see you. Yeah. We will see you there if that happens. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Smooch. Smooches. Okay. Till next time. <laughs> Okay, bye-bye.